Ed Miller is the co-founder and president of Marijuana Justice, a new nonprofit that advocates for equitable legalization and raises awareness of the history of cannabis criminalization. We hear from Ed on this podcast what it was like to teach math at an underserved public high school and how he later pursued both counseling and tutoring, having been drawn to the power of relationships and connection. Ed also tells us why he co-founded Marijuana Justice and what the organization's goals are going forward. So without further ado, here's Ed Miller. Ed Miller, thank you for being on the podcast. Yes. Thanks for having me. Excited to have Ed tonight. Well, let's talk about where, uh, where you're from. Where were you born? Uh, originally born in Highland Park, and then when I was two, my parents moved out to Chesterfield. So, um, born and raised in Chesterfield, um, elementary, middle, high school out there, and graduated from Monacan High School, uh, go Chiefs. Nice. Uh, 20th, 20th reunion coming yeah. up this year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a real one. Yeah. You definitely yeah. don't look like 20 years out of high school. Tw- 20 is an attention getter, though. Yeah, he definitely does not look yeah, like Yeah, say he's... that again for yeah. the people in the back that are listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's coming from Daniel, the, uh, the millennial. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, y- your family is uh, a family of educators. They are. They are. Yeah, my, um, my dad uh, was a Department of Correctional Education. Uh, he, he was there for pretty much his whole life. Um, he wrote a book about it called Cell Tales. It's pretty interesting stuff. He saw a lot of stuff while he was out in, in the different prisons, uh, working working out there. My mom was a former school teacher, and then she started working as a for the Department of Education for the State Department of Education. Uh, my sister works in the school system as well. My mom's sister was a, a school teacher. I was a school teacher. Wow. So I, I almost feel like I kind of had to on some in some aspect, but I ended up teaching school after after college because. Um, I needed a job. Mm. Yep. And I have a couple of friends of mine were teachers at the time, and they were like, you should consider school teaching. I said, yeah, sure, why not? Because you, you went to uh, University of Virginia, and you studied engineering, right? Yeah, yep, yep. Mechanical so, engineering. Mechanical, mechanical engineering. So, which is considered by a lot to be one of the harder ones, if not the hardest, right? Um, yeah, yeah, depending on who you ask. I considered it not nearly as hard as some of the others that required two courses of computer programming. Uh, um, <laughs> he required one. I was like, yeah, that, that, uh, that, that's about it for me. I, I won't ever do that again in life. And I do it daily now. So and then, <laughs> joke, joke, joke's on me. <laughs> right. And Ed's saying that to Daniel and me. And Daniel is, of course, a guy that programs all day long. Yeah. Uh, yeah most yeah. of my classes were in that, in that area. So, uh, but you, you might not have liked computers, but you, you, you were into like mathematical concepts and engineering and, and you, you taught math when you were a teacher, right? I, I did. I did. So it's interesting you said I must have been into those types of concepts. I was really just not interested in reading. So when I was finishing up high school, mm. I said, hmm, what major can I pick that's not going to require me to read? Huh. Engineering feels good. <laughs> there we have it. Wow. And, you, and you were right. That was, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. involve a lot of reading. It didn't. It didn't. So, yeah. yeah. Um, huh. It was a win. Nice. That's pretty interesting. I mean, that seems like, I don't know, doing something very difficult to get out of something that's not that hard depends on the person right? <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily read do good so uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> nice yeah like so it. what's the word for that daniel you're a big word guy what what he just did read too where, well where he, where he intentionally said something grammatically incorrect is, oh is there a word for that well the word that dimitri the guy that wrote dimitri's article uses it's called a malapropism is that what he just did i don't know it may, it may it be a version right. of it that, that feels accurate. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a yeah. version of it for sure. Yeah. Well, none of us are English majors except Paul. No, I'm not. I'm not. A, no, history. A lot of reading. Yeah. What what my history degree did not allow me to do is know everything about history, <laughs> and it did make me a uh, grammatical expert for mm. sure. Yeah. Nice. So, or, or big word guy because clearly you're the bigger word guy out of the two of us. Ah, uh, yeah. I guess so, man. Yeah. I tapped out on words around the twelfth grade. Okay. Yep. It's all downhill from there. Yeah, you had to write that SAT essay, and then you were done. That was it. That was oh, it. You, thank you notes and stuff. Did for, you have to write the essay? No, that was uh, that was more of a recent thing, right? Oh, but it might have been just after you, and then they stopped yeah. after a few years. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Dang. I guess I got caught. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got, got snagged. You probably had your SATs out of twenty four hundred too, didn't you? No. <laughs> yeah. You sure? Oh, oh. I thought you were telling me I got a twenty four hundred. No, we uh, out of twenty four hundred. No. Yeah. No, Ed and I assume you're somewhere around like sixteen hundred. Yeah. Right? Thank you. So yeah. it was out of twenty four hundred. 
which is kind of weird. You should tell. You should have gotten a sixteen hundred and told tell everybody you got sixteen hundred. <laughs> Knowing that it would be changed. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but you uh, you got your engineering degree and and you needed a job and um, I I want to say that mechanical engineering is kind of an in demand skill set. Yeah, one, so one would think. So was it more because you couldn't find a, um, a job for mechanical engineering or because you were drawn to teaching with your family and everything? Yeah, when I, when I got out of school, I, I, there's certain people that I would say did it right. They had the internships in school. They, mm. they, they were set up for it. I, they played I was the not game. that guy. They played the game. I, did, I played no games, mm-hmm. and so I had no job as a result. I, I looked around for some jobs. I worked out at a, at a metal fabrication plant, and what was happening was they were kind of grooming me to be an engineer, but they paid me $9 an hour so that I could learn how stuff worked. Mm. And, but it was one of those jobs where you took a shower after the fact. Um, no, no, no offense to, to anybody that takes showers after they go to work, but, it, but after I got my degree, that was not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they offered me the full-time job, but, but at that point I decided, you know, this uh, not not the life for me. Right. And a couple of friends of mine at the time were school teachers, and they said, yeah, you should, you should think about being a school teacher. And I said, think about it. Yeah, sign me up. And did you go to the same school that your friends were at? I didn't. So I interviewed in the same county that they were at. Um, and, and what county was that? Henrico County. And when I got there, you know, there, there's not a lot of uh, males, particularly black males, wanting to teach school. So I, I think I got there. They're like, ha we got just the school for you. And so they had me interview at a couple schools on the East End. And that was it from there. And the East End being majority black? Correct, correct. So they pigeonholed you into that? Yeah, there was about a 0% chance that I was going to end up on the West End. Okay. Not that I wanted to, but um, definitely wasn't going to happen. And how long did you te- teach for? So I was officially in the school system for four years. I, I had three years. I had a provisional license, and then I didn't plan on staying. So uh, the way the provisional license worked is uh, you have three years to get all your coursework done because I, I wasn't an education major. Um, mm. I, I knew a couple of things about teaching. I took one educational-ish course. And so they would give you three years and give you a stipend to, to get your coursework right so that you could be a fully licensed teacher. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to be here for that long. I'm, I'm going to be set up. I'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. After my three years, uh, I was wrong on that also. So after the third year, I went back into the school system, but as a substitute teacher. And so I substitute taught around Henrico County for uh, the first part of that year. And then fortunately, uh, one of the teachers that was at uh, the school that I was teaching at, uh, she left on extended maternity leave, and it was funny. They, they, I was, I wasn't the first choice because she was a math teacher too, and mm-hmm. I wasn't the first choice for them to uh, take over that classroom. But what ended up happening was uh, she didn't have the best kids in the world, and so they chewed through two other subs before that, and they were kind of in dire straits. And they said, "Ed, would you come teach the class?" I'm like, "Well, well yeah, 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 I will come teach the class." So you inherited a, like a tough class. Oh, it was. It was pretty terrible it's pretty awful um there was there was one day where I, I i had one class where i felt like i just wrote office referrals for the entire class i had so many kids suspended by the next week and it was it was not an awesome day i had the principal come in and give a, a class a lecture of taking class seriously and i never had that experience before like even as a first year teacher i had some some rough days but uh that was uh that was something special mm, especially having chewed through three other teachers, I imagine kids would be even more emboldened. Like when I was in high school, anybody really, when the sub just, when a sub <laughs> comes in, it's like, all right, how can we mess with this exactly. person? Exactly. They're like licking their chops, rubbing their hands together. Like, uh, we're going to get this guy. I'm like, okay. Did you notice a, a difference like that when you stopped teaching, um, like as a full-time and switched to being a substitute teacher? Not really. My, I, I was probably a teacher's worst nightmare because I was very much a, if I'm subbing in your classroom, kids, if you don't bother me, I won't bother you. Mm. Um, here's work. Here's what here's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, do it if you want to, but if you don't, as long as you're not bothering me or anybody else, we're good with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't do it, it'll it'll come back on them anyway. It'll come back on them because I'd be gone by the next day. Right. Yeah. But for the long term sub, it was uh, I had a bit more of a vested interest. So. Uh, yeah, they, they definitely push some limits on that. Mm. Yeah. What did you uh, enjoy about teaching the most? 
I enjoyed connecting with the kids. So I, I taught math, which was all well and good. It was not something that I was passionate about. So I, I enjoyed more so the conversations that we had about life and decision-making, problem-solving. So just being able to connect on that level. And anytime that I could offer some encouragement, advice, or what have you, that or see a light bulb go off, then that, that just made, made the day for me. It, it made mm -hmm. it all worthwhile. And math was like a means to that sort of interaction. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we definitely talked about math. But we, we talked about a lot of other stuff as well. Because uh, I knew at the end of the day, there was only a handful of the kids that I taught that would need to know how to graph a linear equation, mm. even though it was something that was going to be on their SOL test at the end of the year. So needed to prep them for that. At the same time, I felt... Uh, like it was also my responsibility to prep them for life. Um, so we, we had a lot of just serious conversations around that front. And I would say I enjoyed that so much that it led me to want to go back to school and get a degree in counseling so that I could be an adolescent counselor. Wow. Do you, when you were talking with these kids, you said that they probably wouldn't need to need, need to know how to graph a linear equation. Right. Because I'm guessing because the odds just aren't in their favor for a lot of things like secondary education. Do you, um, do you think that they were self-aware or aware of that reality in their own life? Or were you communicating that to them? Yeah. The question that I got often is where, when am I going to use this in life? And I often wouldn't, wouldn't have a great answer other than you're going to need this for the test. You will need to pass the test in order to pass the exam. You need to pass the exam to pass the class. You need to pass the class to get your diploma. So therefore, you need to know this information. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Did um, was there a prevailing sense that kids would be going to college? A handful of them did. A handful of them would. I knew that all of them wouldn't. Um, you, we had some classes that were more of your honors and AP. I didn't, I didn't teach those classes. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my kids, uh, they, they educationally, they would be stopping after they left high school. I, I never wanted to put any limitations on any of the kids. So whatever they felt like they wanted to do, I wanted to be in full support of, but yeah, I, I definitely knew that no, not 100% of the kids were going to be pursuing secondary and higher education. Um, so it it was, it was, it was sobering, but again, I also realized that it's not for everybody. And that was one thing that as a math teacher, I realized that math wasn't for everybody either. So mm. I didn't, I didn't feel like it was my responsibility to make math for somebody that didn't really enjoy it. Uh, but if they could not hate it along the way mm. and, and feel like they could accomplish something and learn something and feel better about themselves because they were able to do something that they didn't think they could do, then yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Because, I mean, it sounds like math isn't exactly like a, you're not passionate about math itself. Um, but similarly, you're, you're able to prove that, that you can do it and do it very well, you know, getting a degree in mechanical <laughs> engineering and all that. Um, so you, you decided that you wanted to learn how to be a counselor? Yeah, yeah. So I would say in, in high school, originally I wanted to be a psychologist. That dream was quickly dashed because... Uh, my understanding at that point was that I wanted to do anything in psychology. I would need a PhD, and that just felt like a whole lot of school. Mm -hmm. And uh, four years was going to be enough. Eight was going to be too much. So what's the next best thing? Oh, something that doesn't require me to have to read. Yep, engineering it is. Yeah. <laughs> so after after working with the kids for a while, yeah, I decided hey, you know maybe I could at least pursue a master's degree and then do some some one on one work or group work with adolescence, uh, relationship skills, and, and pursue things that way. Uh, I realized I didn't necessarily need a doctorate. I think a lot of uh, folks that have the doctorate level education, they're not necessarily always practicing clinicians, uh, but master's degree folks generally are. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you, you got a master's degree, um, it, and is it called counseling? Uh, yep, master's in professional counseling. Professional counseling. Yep. And uh, did you counsel full time? <laughs> uh not exactly so with the with that process like i went through and uh, the last semester last year for me was an internship and as a counseling internship you you have to find a place that'll take you as an intern that uh, has a accredited program and they have a, 
a supervisor there that can do um, supervision for you. So I found uh, I found a place that did it. It's actually not too far from uh, the workplace over in on the West End, and so uh, we had 600 hours of supervision that I did there. So in that 600 hours, I saw uh, clients, uh, um, I facilitated groups and uh, co-facilitated groups. I think that was probably one of the most uh, impactful things in terms of learning about myself. Uh, Because when I sit with a group of people and we're all just kind of talking about what's going on in our lives, uh, it's, it's interesting because I I get to see myself in other people. And I think that's, that's part of the purpose is that you're sitting in a group, you're hearing other people talk and you see bits and pieces of yourself in, in everybody's story. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was quite the, quite a learner. Wait, wait, what was the question? I feel like I just started. Oh rambling. no, no, no. That was, that was great, man. Um, it was, uh, if you did it full time and, oh, and I guess uh, how long you did it for as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did that process. And so after the 600 hours were up and I officially got the degree, in order to practice in the state of Virginia, you have to go through residency. And residency in Virginia at the time was, I think it was like 2,000 hours or 4,000 hours or something like that. So uh, at that time, I was not in a position where I wanted to leave my full-time job and go pursue a residency for essentially a fraction of the pay. Um, I had these different circumstances going on, and and so I decided to table it uh, temporarily, and temporarily kind of turned uh, permanently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these um, group sessions that you you talk about were these like for like people recovering from addiction, or what kind of support were they looking for? Yeah. So we had um, addictions groups and relationship relationship skills groups. Those are the two main ones. And there's a lot of overlap between the two. Uh, when we think about addiction, I mean, yeah, we normally think about the actual practice of a behavior, but it's going to have relationship, relational impacts. And so there, there was a ton of overlap and you would see uh, guys that would come in that would, they would be a part of both groups because they definitely understood that there was an overlap there. Mm. And so it was, it was a, it was a bunch of learning. If I, if I were to say anything about uh, the, me getting the master's in counseling, it was more like I got a master's in myself. Mm. And so I just, I learned a ton about me, uh, how I operate, how I don't operate. And so that just started that journey. So if nothing else, it was a, it was a very (laughs) expensive education (laughs) (laughs) learning about me. Well, I'm sure it also helped you learn how, how people operate in general. Absolutely. So that could be really helpful. Um, yeah. Some of the facilitation skills that were were helpful from a working standpoint, because you work in teams, you work in groups, you have meetings um, mm. there. We've all been in meetings before and sometimes the meetings just aren't very well run. Yep. Uh, the right things are not talked about or you leave the meeting like, wait, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Um, wait, what are the action? I-? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, learning, learning how to do that was definitely helpful. And then, uh, having exposure to all different people, personalities and walks of life in groups, uh, is definitely been helpful in the workplace because there are all sorts of different people and personalities and navigating through, uh, some of these personalities is a little special sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure you've never experienced that. No, no, sir. No. It's funny, you know, especially when you get like a lot of people that are very good at their jobs mm-hmm. together in the same, in the same place, <laughs> you can get some very interesting personalities. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And maybe, maybe a little bit of ego in there also. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just a little just bit. A wee bit. Just a wee bit. <laughs> oh man. So you were doing all this, um, and you, you, Referenced a full-time job. Did you also have a day job? I did. Uh, so at the time, I was working at a bank, large bank here in Richmond. <laughs> You've been listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> might have been the same. That bank nobody that, will find the name of. No, nobody. It might have been the same one oh. that Paul and and Gene worked at also. Yep. Yeah. So I was there for a while. Uh, in addition, I I wanted to have some hands-on learning. So I was working part-time as an in-home counselor in Richmond as well. So that was just to, to get more exposure. I knew I'd be working with teens. And so that was quite the experience um, doing doing that. And then I just bought a house and I needed money. So I had started mm. a tutoring business as well. Oh, so cool. It was, it was just rocking and rolling. 
So you had a tutoring business on the side as well as counseling, right? All on top of a day job. Yeah. What What age range was this tutoring business for? I was willing to take just about anybody. So it started out with just like an ad on Craigslist, and so I had kids in elementary school, I had folks in high school, and probably a couple of college folks in there as well. So anybody that needed help with their math, as long as mm-hmm. they're willing to pay the rate, yep, let's do it. Nice. Yeah. Wow, man. So you were juggling a lot. I'd say um, so. And at what point in your life did, at what point did marijuana justice enter your life? <laughs> uh, probably not for another 10 years after that. So Okay. Yeah. So what were you doing for those 10 years? What was I doing? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was at that bank for, for a mm. while. And okay. I was, you know, I mentioned that I was doing the tutoring thing and I started to shut, uh, wind that down a little bit as I, I went into internship. And then from there, um, yeah, I learned, learned, learned a little bit more about myself. Mm-hmm, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I had an injury along the way, did, did, did rehab. So that took up a good amount of time for a couple of, a couple of years actually. And yeah, just through a, a series of events, that's kind of where I ended up with the mar- marijuana justice piece. Did somebody track you down or did you find them? <laughs> so oddly enough, uh, my co-founder, uh, we went to high school together. Uh, we, I guess you could call us high school sweethearts. And so we went to prom together and uh, we, we've always, we've always had a good relationship. We, we dated for about eh, a year, give or take back then and stayed in contact after, after the fact. And then we just kind of went our separate ways not too long after we had graduated college and we, we hadn't really talked much. Long story short, fast forward to about 2016 and both of us were going through a separation, divorce at the time, and uh, we, we hadn't spoken in years. And I was, I was downtown in Richmond looking at different apartments, just trying to figure out, all right, well, where am I gonna live now? Because I was getting ready to sell my house. And I was on an apartment tour, and she walked in the building. It was just like, oh, oh, wow, I remember you. I know I, you. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. So we had reconnected for, for a little while after that, and, um, and actually we kind of did, dated a little bit again um, after that. That didn't work out, uh, similar to like it didn't work out for the first time. Uh-huh. But again, we, we still had a pretty good relationship um, after that. And one day we were just talking about just ideas and things that that we could do uh, she has a background um, in social work she is an an advocate um, in Richmond and I mean, I'd say she's 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 Richmond famous mm. um, and and growing statewide famous and, and fingers crossed nationally famous as well and so um, she was looking to to take on some projects and so we just uh, came up with this idea she had had um, some folks close to her that had been negatively negatively impacted by we'll call it the war on drugs, and uh, being the advocate that she is, uh, wanted to do something to uh, to change that. So, uh, marijuana justice was formed. You know. Um, so, are are you a co-founder of marijuana justice? I am. I am. Oh, cool. Yeah. And your current capacity, it says on the website that you're the president. Okay, yeah. so so, um, well, tell us tell us more about like what marijuana justice is and what it does first. Sure. Yeah. So we advocate for the equitable legalization of marijuana. So we we think about uh, just uh, drug charges in general and how uh, there are certain populations that are more adversely affected by. Uh, laws uh, around drugs, uh, particularly black and brown communities. And so uh, these groups have been severely marginalized just for, for long, long periods of time. But like, this is one avenue that um, they've definitely been marginalized. And we, we have different states that are, are legalizing along the way. But then there's the question of, okay, so if, if marijuana becomes a legal thing, then what happens to all the people that have been incarcerated as a result? So um, just making sure that folks are taken care of. Mm-hmm. And then again, if, we, if we're talking about legalization, 
there will be people making money off of it. I mean, whether it be from medical use or recreational use. So how can we have equity um, as we move toward legalization? Um, Because again, you'll have big businesses that are going to be able to profit greatly off of it. Um, But what about the folks that, again, have been incarcerated for it? What about giving them opportunities to participate in the economics of it all as well? So those are the things that that we take up. Those are the things that we look at. Those are the things that we advocate for just on a regular basis. And I think co-founder Chelsea Higgs-Wise is just, she's she's done a great, great work in spearheading and leading the charge. Uh, she she has a lot more political background than I, I do. I have none. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a little bit of a background in operations knowledge and finance, so I'm, I'm able to help out and, and, and show some support, not just show some support, but um, to, to help out with the operations of, mm-hmm. of running the organization. Yeah, and, and um, it said on the website that you wanted to be at the table when uh, the question of what do we do because it sounds like it's it's more of a when and less of an if as yeah. f- as far as legalization goes. Absolutely. Uh, and when that happens, you want to be at the table to help make the decisions on. We're going to have a lot more tax revenue because it's legalized and because we're taxing it. Yeah. So how are we going to distribute this uh, or fairly, you know, all equitably. that stuff? Yeah, yeah. E- equitably. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a big thing. We, we look at a state like Illinois, they, they've gone through the legalization process, but that's not something that they had really thought about or considered. So now retroactively, they're figuring out, all right, how can we uh, ensure that all communities are benefiting from the, the tax revenues? But in Virginia, we have an opportunity to lay that in, lay that groundwork of that infrastructure first. So like recently, we had a study bill passed where we'll start to examine some of the effects of legalization and what do, what does that mean. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're thinking in the next couple of years, maybe the next two years, we we can uh, start looking at true legalization. And but with that, we'll have the infrastructure set up to where. Yep, we we know that there's going to be money. We know about how much, and we we have plans for how it'll be distributed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what you said earlier about the, everyone that's already been, you know, sentenced, mm-hmm. incarcerated because of a you know, let's say nonviolent marijuana related offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, your group is there also to make sure that those people don't get um, just forgotten. Right, right, yeah, definitely. On a on a macro level, we, we just want to ensure that um, uh, groups of people that have been historically forgotten about and marginalized are no longer forgotten about and marginalized. What are some like it's it's difficult for me at this point to think of reasons that um, marijuana is should be illegal. Um, so why why do you think that it's taken so long? Ooh, that's a uh... That's a, that's a loaded question. Um, I think it depends on the research and, and who you ask. Um, a marijuana prohibition that's been going on for, for decades now. I, I would love to sit here and tell you that it came from a good place, um, but I don't, I don't think that it did. You know, when we had... Um, those laws were originally set up because uh, we think about back in the 60s and 70s, uh, Jim Crow era. Uh, it, at that point in time, civil rights movement had started and we could no longer arrest people for being a part of a demographic group. And so uh, this could also be the next best thing. So uh, I think it just kind of sat on that front and there was a lot of propaganda that was going forth at that at that point around how dangerous marijuana is. Now, the research at that time uh, said the opposite, but uh, legislation, legislators uh, really villainized uh, marijuana as a whole and talked about how it was uh, one of the most dangerous drugs out there. And like, even how it was classified as a, as a Schedule One drug, um, and those are ones that have no medicinal benefit. Those are like, you know, meth and like cocaine, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty okay. It's pretty absurd. Yeah. Uh, um, so they they lumped it in with Schedule One, and the idea is that 
it's a tool for policing and control yep. in the absence of just blatant Jim Crow. Correct. Yep. And we're still dealing with the generational echoes of that. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, Cause I, I'm kind of in your camp. I don't, I don't logically see a, a huge reason for having a marijuana prohibition as we have it today. Uh, I know there, there was one for alcohol, but realize that uh, that uh, didn't quite work out yeah on your site there was also a uh story it was it was a video of, of this guy telling his own story mm-hmm. uh tyrone was his name yeah he was a navy veteran 21 years um and he came back and he talked about the uh he, he had like a cocktail of, of mental issues that had to do some with the military, some without, you know, panic disorder, yeah. anxiety disorder, uh, schizoaffective. Mm-hmm. And he was given a lot of different meds. Didn't work out too great. Yeah. Uh, ups and downs. So he started growing weed. Yeah. Um, and then he got caught. Yeah. And the video ends. But um, I do you know what happened? Like, I, I would have to reach out to Tyrone to see how, how that story ended. Um, but I mean, that's, that's, I think that's just a case in point, right? Like he was able to find something that worked well for him and he wasn't causing any harm or danger to anybody. Nevertheless, he was caught. And so that's something, um, there's a couple of stories on the website out there now, and we're, we're always looking to have other folks tell their story, tell their story as well. So, um, what is the, uh, the name of the website? My, my what? The uh, yeah. marijuana just—is it just? <laughs> I just, thought it's a trick question. Uh, <laughs> MarijuanaJustice.org. Dot org. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm just—I'm trying to give it a plug. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, THC Justice now on all social media. THC Justice now on all social media. Yeah. Uh, you, you can follow can us on Facebook. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Are you going to follow us on Facebook? I don't have a Facebook. Uh, you, would, would you get a Facebook so that you could? Yes. Support. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, maybe you'll see the Podso One account liking uh, Marijuana Justice, and that'll be me. Okay. Uh, All right. I, I guess that counts. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Random question. Go so, for it. Uh, what's something that in your life, like an achievement that you're really proud of? I wow. I, we didn't we didn't talk about that before. <laughs> I didn't give you any heads up. You gave me no warning on that. Uh, something that. I am proud of, um, I'd say that I'm proud of the involvement I've had with marijuana justice. Um, growing up, I always wanted to, I would tell myself that if I have ever got to a place where I could have a platform to, to help other people, I would do that. And so this has been a cool opportunity to do that, to really dig in and, and, and help people. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and are you uh, generally optimistic or realistic or pessimistic with regard <laughs> to uh, marijuana justice? Uh, optimistic. Optimistic. I, I think a lot of the questions are questions of when and not if. Uh, I have a, a, all the faith and confidence in the world in Chelsea and her leadership and her vision and, and, and where things are going to go. Um, I, I have some confidence in my ability to keep up, but I have a ton of confidence in her ability to lead. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I, I think great things are, are happening. I think great things are on the way. So I, I am legitimately excited about uh, how things are going to be shaping up over the next couple of years. Awesome. Yeah. What, what are some things, uh, are, that are in the works um, with marijuana justice. Yeah, so a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, first, uh, working on a drug education curriculum. So a lot of folks are familiar with the DARE program mm-hmm. that kids have in elementary or middle school. And the studies have shown that it's not uh, super effective, and that's, that might be a bit of an understatement. So what Chelsea's working on right now is... Um, a, a re-dare program. And so it's looking at drug education, particularly from a racial equity lens. And so it's going to add into the history component because I think one thing that's not really talked about is how did, how did we even get to the laws that we have today? Like why, why are we where we are today? Mm -hmm. And to be able to paint a, an end to end picture of, 
uh, drugs and drug education, I think will be super helpful to, mm. so that so that kids can make informed decisions. And I know we like, oh, we don't want to leave kids and make informed decisions. Eventually, when they become adults, they're going to have to make informed decisions, and and we want to make sure that they have the right tools to be able to do. Oh that. yeah, yeah. Uh, something else that's important: uh, data. Um, we we live in a, a world I think that um, thrives a lot more on data than it used to, and so being able to uh, work with folks, um, people that have a lot more data expertise than I do to, to architect and warehouse a lot of the data around uh, convictions, arrests, and being able to, to, to tell the story and tell that narrative of what's going on. It's something that we're, that's on the horizon for 2020 also. Yeah, a lot of the time you hear about data being, um, like, if you just look at numbers, you kind of forget that each of those numbers is a person. Yeah. But it seems like it can also go the opposite direction where if you're using data to track all this stuff, you, you can find ways to, you know, make sure that nobody gets left behind, for example. Absolutely. And you could say, oh, look at this prison data. Look at all these nonviolent offenders that are still sitting in jail for something that's now legal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Absolutely. I have yep. another question. So there's Uh-oh. a bill recently, uh, and we'll just touch on this. Sure. On March 9th that passed in Virginia that... Uh, "Quote unquote," um, decriminalized um, marijuana. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the difference, first of all, between decriminalizing something and legalizing it? Yeah, uh, the devil's in the details. So when you know, we think decriminalization, it means that there would not be a criminal penalty for for something. Um, it, with the decrim bills and the more recent ones, I think they're looking at. Uh, for simple possession, I think it's under a half ounce or under an ounce. I can't remember which one, but there would be with it a $25 fine for a civil penalty. Uh, civil penalties are not ones that you can, can fight. Uh, criminal penalties you can. Um, but but it, it's one of those things where you know, it's still not legal. Like you still can get in trouble for it, mm-hmm. whereas legalization means it's it's truly legal. And so... If you do have uh, marijuana on your on your person, that's not something that they could uh, issue some sort of citation for. Okay. Yeah. And uh, another piece of uh, you know, with the, the more current legislatures that we're looking to fight is um, with that. There's a clause in there around intent to sell, and I think it's something along the lines of if you have more than an ounce, then the assumption is that you have an intent to sell and is that right yeah and with that becomes um a more more harsh penalty mm-hmm. because uh, distribution is a completely different correct. area yes versus possession mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we're 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 in the process of fighting that right now because i mean maybe maybe you're just stockpiling right but mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to have any baggage you wouldn't have to have anything that would really say you're trying to sell is just Oh, we're just going to presume that if you have more than an ounce, you must be trying to sell. Was um, was marijuana ever legal at at, at some point? Um, at some point, a long time ago, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's kind of weird to think about it because I just you know grew up and it was always illegal, and now some states have legalized it. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah. So obviously, the the ideal world for marijuana justice would be just a straight up legalization. Yeah. It's good to go, but um, because that's not very feasible with, I guess, like the way the legislature works right now. It's yeah. it's more like these baby steps. Like let's decriminalize and then let's reduce yeah. the penalties and eventually get to a place where we can legalize. Correct. Does that sound fair? That's that's about how it works. Um, I. <laughs> It's, I'm glad I have a business partner that uh, understands the inner workings. There's a lot more patience than I do. Um, I can often fall into a, hey, save time, see it my way type of mentality. Mm. Uh, and that is, uh, can be a little destructive. Um, but someone like Chelsea understands the process, understands what has to happen to, to have real long-lasting change. So like, right now, yep, we'll have decriminalization on the docket. And then we have a study bill passed. And what that is going to allow for is to uh, allow for research on decriminalization for legalization. And so, again, we can start setting up the the financial infrastructure for when we do get to 
uh, proposing legalization bill, say in 2022, mm-hmm. uh, we can we have a lot of data to back it uh, because I think that's something that we'll definitely need. Like we'll we'll need the we'll need the data to support the bill. It's not going to be one of those. Oh well, it just makes intuitive sense. Like we'll we'll have to have the data there. Uh, and if it were to pass, we'd have to say like, all right, here's there's revenue being generated. What do we want to do with it? And the, the study bill will also allow us to take a look at, all right, how can we start to appropriate funds so that when we do move toward legalization, it's done in an equitable manner. If all of the objectives are met for marijuana justice, what does the world look like? And, right. I, and I don't yeah. mean to ask a, a giant, <laughs> like really deep question. Maybe it's not that deep, but it's certainly a big question. Yeah, that's no, great. Yeah. It, that looks like uh, equitable representation, equitable legalization. So uh, over the years, you know, we have different groups, and particularly black and brown folks that have been criminalized, villainized for for this. So being able to um, level the playing field when it comes to, all right, we are in a legalization place. We are, we have legalized. Now we have uh, uh, folks that are released from prison. We have records expunged. We have rights restored. And then economically, we, we have uh, more equal opportunities for the participation in the economics of it all across the board. Right. Because uh, right now, yeah, big businesses, um, yeah, they, they, they have a seat at the table. Uh, medical industry, yep, has a seat at the table. But what about... Other folks, particularly those that have been particularly harmed by uh, the, the the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you just described is not asking too much, and it sounds completely uh, rational, uh, normal, so. and and thoughtful about your fellow man. Yeah, I like to think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is uh, expungement, and how, and why is it important? So, if you have some sort of a charge on your record. Um, yeah, just having that completely written off. I mean, just having your uh, record expunged so that it's as if it didn't happen. Um, and then right restoration, that's that's big as well. So um, you, know, you have a felony charge, you lose your right to vote. Mm. Hey, let's go ahead and wipe the record of that charge and then let's restore your rights. Uh, you, you, paid, you paid the penalty. Um, you paid a penalty that now you wouldn't even have to pay. So let's just make sure that uh, now that we are in this new space, like, you're still not forgotten about. Right. Yeah. How many groups are across this country that uh, are going after similar or same objectives? There's a lot of groups out there that are going after legalization. Our our unique uh, lens through which we're looking through is one of racial equity. And so there's not too many. I'm, I'm not aware of any, definitely not in the state of Virginia, that are coming at it from a, um, uh, a racial and social equity lens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's great what you guys are, are doing. And, you, you. and I, mi- I missed part of this, and you may have answered this earlier. Do you feel like you're making progress? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool because we just started June of last year, and just some of the, the doors that we've been able to get in have been, been pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I thought you'd been doing it for a few years. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That's amazing. The T-shirt's yeah. legit. T-shirt's legit, yeah. So if you could, um, if you could quit your day job, which I know you love and it's it's a fun thing, it's a great place. But if you could quit that, I love and, my my manager also. Yes, my, I've heard oh, I've, I've heard his manager pretty, is pretty ah, freaking amazing. stellar. I've yeah. heard he's got a huge head. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, so if you could, I mean, how, how do you judge such things? Really, <laughs> thirty pounds. He says it weighs. He's really um, smart. That's all. Yeah. Really smart. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good times. If you could, like, if, because um, it's a nonprofit, right? That's yep. what it's classified as. So if you could go and work full time and not worry financially um, for marijuana justice, would you do it? Absolutely. Yeah. Without a shout. I guess I expected without that. Without a shout of a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. The key part was not have to worry financially. Right. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Sign me up. Yeah. So go donate, people. Yeah. Marijuana. Nice. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. org. It's on the top right. Little button. There it is. So tell, tell us about <laughs> show choir at high school. Ed. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I guess elementary school I was in the choir there, middle school, same type of thing. And high school, it was just, I guess 
the next the next step in uh, the the choir singing dan- dancing realm was to get involved in show choir, and we had a group. The group is pretty good, uh, particularly in the Central Virginia area, and yeah, we, we had a, a, a bunch of fun with it. And we had, we had green sequin vests. Yes. The guys did, and then the girls had uh, green sequin dresses. We had dress changes. Yeah, it was it was fun. Jazz hands. I tapped. I learned how to tap. Wow, fun. Can you still tap? Uh, no. no. <laughs> it's hard, um, right? It, it is. It is very hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I I tip my hat to anybody that is like a, a legitimately trained dancer. But yeah, I was I was faking the funk. Like I, the whole group did the routine, but only about. A half dozen to a dozen had legitimate tap shoes on, uh, and everybody yeah, else yeah. was just kind of kind of pretending. Right, and for better or for worse, like I was one of the people with the tap. I was, I was a dance captain my senior year, so oh, that nice. was a had a good time with it. So you grew up singing, and but the dancing yeah. didn't start until middle school, high school. Yeah, I mean, I always enjoyed dancing just for fun and singing. I mean, my mom had me in the in the choir at church, of course. Right, and so it just it just kind of carried through. My uh. My mom had me doing plays when I was like 11, 12. Nice. Yeah. And uh, I had a decent role in the first play just because there weren't that many people trying out. Uh, and then I was going for the main role of this next play. And I lost to this other guy. And I got like, I, it was, uh, God, what's the name of the play? It's about orphans. Oliver Twist. Ah. I, I was going for Oliver Twist, that role, and I ended up being orphan number 22 or something. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a bummer. So that, <laughs> that that's is. when my acting career ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my sister was in show choir as well. She's a much better singer than I am. Um, I, they, if anything, singer or dancer, I'd say I'm a little bit more of a dancer. Maybe not a ton of either. So when I was at UVA, I choreographed a group while I was out there as well. Yeah, that's, that's oh, awesome. So, Tell us about that. Yeah, it was... Um, it is University Dance Club, and I was in there for a semester or two and, you know, had some fun with it, and then it was one of those things where I was like, you know what, I think I could choreograph. I did that in high school. Let me do that again. And so, yeah, I put together, we had a small group. We had stick, sticks. We did a step routine. Like, it was it was fun. Nice. A lot of fun. Yeah. That's, that's probably been, on a, a VHS a... somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should uh, have to find it. Um. Where would it yeah. be? Would it be at your parents' house? I might have it at my house. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we should definitely check that yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. There might even be some uh, some YouTube videos somewhere on like show choir and all that type of fun stuff. If there aren't, you can use our channel. Wait a minute. Are you saying generally show choir or the show choir that you were in? The one I was in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The step shows were, uh, I went to a few of them when I was in college. They, yeah. they were a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's good times. Good times. <laughs> so, did, wait a minute. Did you say you, you started the club? I didn't start the club, but I was I was a member of it, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, I was in a couple of groups and I was like, oh yeah, I think I could choreograph something, put something together, and so so I did. Did y'all talk about UVA a lot? No, I, not, I, not that we need to. Ed, Ed and I are uh, the way I've described UVA for my generation. I think this is probably true even uh, today to some degree. There are there are people that are stereotypical UVA. Yeah. Maybe they don't uh, smell as badly as the average person. And then there's <laughs> been there what I call the normals. Yeah. Uh, Ed and I were consider ourselves normals. Yeah. Um, and Ed and I have both agreed, and I, I will deny this, uh, but of course we're being recorded right now. <laughs> we may have to edit this out later. Uh, Ed and I could, could have thrived at Virginia Tech, maybe yeah. even thrived a little bit better at places like Virginia Tech or yeah. even VCU or uh, any other state school. Because... Uh, the, cult, the culture is yeah. very, very different there. It is. I, I never felt like I fit in. It's not so. super inclusive. No, I sure. spent most of my weekends in Richmond when yeah. I was at UVA. Yeah. yeah. How many years apart did you guys go? Because that's for you guys to both have the same impression well, of the culture. Well, let's see. Ed's uh, talking about his 20th. Uh, I can't count that high. <laughs> you don't have that many fingers. We'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll call it 33 for me. So there, so there was a, let's say, 13 year gap between you guys being there. Yeah, but it's mm-hmm. been, it's been, it integrated uh, women join in 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems late. Like that. It yeah. was. Uh, and then I imagine that took a while. By the time I went there in 87, it, it felt like a co educational uh, environment. Uh, but I, I can't imagine what Ed experience was too terribly different than what I experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than we come from different demographics and that has yeah. an effect. 
and I was in engineering school as well, and they were we were a little secluded by what well, I mean a lot. He was hanging out with the really smart people. I was hanging out with the people that barely got in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hanging on their coattails. Yeah, I, uh, I did not thrive in engineering school. You got That's through. A nice way to put that. Yeah. I saw a uh, it was like a coronavirus meme, and it was a professor <laughs> saying like, make sure you don't uh, shake hands or have any close or physical contact with anybody, and don't hug anybody. Um, during this trying time, engineering students, please disregard this message. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds all right. Yeah, they didn't they didn't let us out too often. I think I only took a couple of classes that were not engineering classes. I don't even really know what the rest of the campus looked like. Yeah, and it's, and it's huh. brutal, right? I mean, yeah. it's hard work. Yeah, and it's. I I didn't understand it. I I'm thankful I had smart people to hang around because I was like, mm. I don't get it. Yeah, and I was. Pretty much every class. I, it was it was all well and good the first year when I was taking just the the general courses, the the, the calculus, the physics. But I was like, man, this is gonna be awesome. Then I got into my second year and in in my major courses, and I was like, what? Uh, wait, wait, what did I sign up for? Yeah, this is terrible. Yeah. And at UVA, you like you join a school, the School of Engineering. It's yep. like a sub school. Yep. So once you're in there, is it hard to oh, extricate yourself? Big words, extricate. Uh, oh, yeah. D- Daniel's got one or two of them every good, podcast good grief, episode. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing I went to UVA and I know what that word And by means. the way, he's yeah. giving you grief about it without me saying anything to him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he came by that honestly. No, he didn't. He's been listening. No, I don't think so. He's been dropping references, dude. I think he's listening to two. You know what he said? He said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a listener now. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. You do qualify. Yeah, I, qualify. I open-ended. Based, based I was on a very, like, very uh, open or easy definition. I was like, what was your day job? And I didn't even... No leading question, and he said that he he worked at a large bank in Richmond. Uh, so I know he's been listening. Well, he heard that one in episode seven, I believe. We've been referencing that. We probably said that six or seven times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, uh, to leave engineering school. I mean, it's possible, um, but it's just not it, necessarily more... possible to do without staying an extra semester or two. At least, yeah, yeah. at least a semester. Easy. Yeah. So once you're in, you kind of got to commit. Yep. Right. Uh, so if you could sit down and talk to anybody have a beer with somebody who would it be excluding uh, excluding present company excluded but all of history is open they don't have to be alive anybody yeah i don't have a great answer to this question either or maybe i do grief um i don't have an answer to this one oh i i have an answer you want me to answer and give you a little more time to think about it Yeah, go ahead so uh i'm gonna go sports I'm a big football guy, so it would have to be somebody from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you would think I'd go with a Hall of Famer from Tampa, which I think there are only two. Most teams have like 20 probably. Tampa only has two. But I, I think I'm going to go with uh, Doug Williams. You know who Doug Williams is? Can you see it in the corner to the right of the TV over there? There's a poster over there. It's, it's, yes. it's Doug Williams. It's uh, probably my favorite thing in this basement. Yeah, I'd like to sit down with Doug. Do you think that I think he's coaching now? I think we're going to get him on the podcast. Would would he be nice to you? Would he be nice to me? Yeah, Yeah, we would love each other. Okay. Yeah, no question. Would it be like you being like, I love you and I love your work, and him being like, no, 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 that's kind of weird. We would be uh, near equals. Okay. I would put him on a pedestal, but not too high. Oh, that's good. That's important. Yeah, he played in Tampa during the rough years. And, and he's, seen, he's got a really incredible story. He was the first African-American quarterback to win, win a Super Bowl. That's huge. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's been through a lot to do what he's accomplished. <clears throat> I have a ton of respect for him, what I know of him, even though I don't know him personally. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That was supposed to buy me time. I was trying, man. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like all my answers would be cliche. Yeah. I mean, it could be. It could be anybody. It could like a Michael Jordan, of course, or, or Barack Obama. It, if I use some recency bias, then maybe a Jay-Z or a Black Thought. Um, I would say Jay-Z, just what he's been able to do, particularly over the last 10, 15 years, just to, to hear what he talks about, to hear him talk now. Uh, there's not a lot of people that I, I feel inspired by, but he, he's one of those people, just... Because of his success or what he's been doing with his success? Or both? Both. Yeah. Both, yeah. Um, it, him talking definitely stretches my thinking and how mm. I look at the world, how I view things. Um, I could say the same thing about Black Thought. Just hearing him talk, uh, just being the artist that he is, 
and his focus on the craft. I mean, I, I would, I would grant him the num the top slot in terms of uh, hip hop artists and just the, the time and attention he gives to his writing and just his craft. Like, I, I think that's incredible. Mm. I'm, I'm, and Dan, I'm kind of like you and that I'm a, I'm a master of none type of person. <laughs> so I, I think it's really cool to get around. Like, it, at least like I would want to pick some people cause that's, that's what I would aspire to be is like, I want to be good at something. Right. You know, that's something that's definitely kept me up and I'm like, oh, what am I going to be good at? The yeah, best maybe nothing. at. Yeah. The best at. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I went to see uh, Chris Gardner from The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, I saw him a couple times, and he said two things that really just rocked my world, is that, um, you know, he he wanted to do something he loved so much that he couldn't, when he went to bed at night, he couldn't wait to get up the next morning to do it. But the other thing he said was uh, he always wanted to be world-class at something, and that, that resonated with me. Uh, but here I am, you know, 10, 15 later, years later, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that is yet. But yeah, you may not figure it out. You may never figure it out. Yeah, yeah or, I, or maybe it's that it is nothing, and then I, I just do do a bunch of stuff. Which means it's it's anything. Yeah, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, you'll yeah. be a world class generalist. Exactly. <laughs> is, is, is that a thing? Exactly. It will be. Yeah. After this podcast, yeah. Okay. anything. Yeah. yeah. World class generalist. I like that. Yeah. That's good. <clears throat> That's a good answer. Um, so uh, you didn't uh, like no Kanye, no love there. Ooh. Uh He's a you're he's being a, a, uh, somewhat inflammatory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why would you say that? Yeah. <laughs> he was not like this before the podcast started. I, tell you that. I just know um, he, I know he's a polarizing figure. He he is. I you know and this. I think in his own right, Kanye is a genius. Um, I think there's often times where he is well ahead of his time. Like it's funny you mentioned. I was actually listening to him on the way up here. Oh really? Yeah. Um, the dark twisted fantasy album like i i think that is probably one of um i think it's my favorite album that he has ever put out and it came out in 2010 but the content in that album i mean it's relevant today i'm like wow this guy's like ahead of his time but then again i also watched his interview with dave letterman on netflix and just as the interview got later and later in i'm like uh, this, this guy's kind of off his rocker right now. Like he, someone needs to reel him back in or yeah, yeah. really cut recording. Here. I haven't like, seen that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, but you knew there that he has that in him, that off behavior. I would, I would yeah, call it. he's he's uh, eclectic. Eclectic. Yeah, eclectic. Yeah. There, there we go. There we go. <laughs> nice and safe. Yes, love it. Yeah. Got, got us back <laughs> in bounds there. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Did we talk about counseling at all? We did. Uh, okay. All right, I'll we, have to catch it when I listen. We, to the, I mean, we talked about the, some of the group counseling work, but we didn't talk about the couples or the single counseling. Hmm. Let's explore one of those. Which one was harder for you as the counselor? Uh, couples, because I was a single guy. Uh, yeah. So it's just a, a hard thing to establish credibility. Yeah. 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 yeah I had uh, one couple that I saw a couple of sessions, and then they were like, "Yeah, no, <laughs> no, thanks." Yeah, like I get, I I get that having experience would probably help in that situation, but mm-hmm. it seems like just having a room and having a person and having a an occasion for a couple to like talk about stuff that they would not ever otherwise talk about mm-hmm. is effective in itself. Like just get them talking to each other. And there's an objective person yeah. there who's trained trying to help them get to a better place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One one would think. I think. So it's not it, it's not you. It's them. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll take that. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, um, I think I did in-home counseling as well. That was uh, that was interesting. There's a ton of in-home counseling agencies, but I, mm. I learned a lot about. So that. you would go to the, their houses yeah. and sit at the like the dining room table or something. Yeah, yeah. I had one uh, out in Gilpin Court. Yeah, it's a different different area. Yeah, very different area. So um, is that awkward when you sit down with them at first and just say, "All right, well." Uh, why don't I mean how do, how do you start that conversation? <laughs> um, I mean, typically in in-home counseling, you end up with um, school-age kids, and so and for a lot of kids that are that have in-home counselors, it's it's fairly normal. So it's just having a conversation with a teenager, just like anybody else, right? And mm-hmm. so just hey, let's let's talk. You're, you're talking and doing some mild staring in the spirit of learning more about the kid and how you can help yeah. them. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's you know, just establishing that connection mm. um, because 
logically I should be able to ask these set, this set of questions and you should be able to give me all these answers, but like we're dealing with people. So it's really just creating that environment where mm. people feel comfortable to talk about whatever's on their mind, whether right. it be something that they need help with or something they just want to externalize. So we, we played a lot of basketball. Nice. And, you know, play some cards here and there. So whatever, whatever would be necessary to just, have conversations and and like you had you talked about that list of questions like if you felt like you couldn't ask that question or that they weren't really willing to answer it that was okay you just moved on or yeah yeah I, we could push on it or maybe try to ask the question a different way uh but you know it, it wasn't going to be one to try to extract information that the, the the kid didn't feel comfortable or even if it was an adult it's not something they felt comfortable talking about mm-hmm. I'm not going to push on it because again it's uh, just having that relationship was probably the most important part in the therapeutic process is just feeling that at the end of the day yeah you can come we can talk about whatever you want to talk about however you want to talk about it I'll ask some questions uh, but I'm, I'm not going to push I'm not going to make anybody uncomfortable yeah, because if you push, they're going to shut down. Right? Yeah, yeah. End typically, of, end of relationship. Unless you push really hard, yeah. and then you can get some short-term success, but then they'll hate you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. short yeah. short-term success, like who cares, right? It's not that's not the end game. Day traders, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally the same thing. Too. If, you, if you have yeah. a day trading mindset in council, you're probably not going to be very successful. <laughs> we're going to go for the big bet today. Right. <laughs> so we're all we're going to work it all out in 20 minutes. <laughs> I wish it worked that way sometimes. Oh man! All right. So since Ed is technically a listener of, of our podcast here, uh, he he heard the question that we asked. Have you already done it? No, no, of course not. Okay, I'll you, never you, do you, that. You waited for me. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So Ed, you know. And for our, li- our new listeners to this podcast, because at least your parents uh, and mm-hmm. maybe the folks that you work with at uh, Marijuana Justice will listen, uh, we certainly hope they do yeah. and, and would appreciate it. Uh, the question we ask is, uh, this is, Daniel calls this a would you rather. Would you rather join the military for a four-year stint? You remember mm-hmm. the question, mm-hmm. but I'll explain it for our new listeners. Or would you rather... Uh, do stand-up comedy, write your own material, and deliver it on a weekly basis in front of strangers every week for six months. If you had asked me that question 15 years ago... Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. You're 25 in this scenario. I'm 25. And, and you're single. Oh, 25 and single. Um, Ready to mingle. No, yeah. <laughs> knowing, knowing what I knew at 25, then I'd probably go to the military. Yeah. Yeah, knowing what I know now, probably comedy. Really? Yeah. Okay. So if you took yeah. your current brain, put it in a 25-year-old body, you do comedy? I've, I've had thoughts about getting, like, I have a friend that got involved in stand-up comedy, and it just, like, stand-up, like, it, it just seems like it's really cool, a cool way to just uh, work on public speaking and mm-hmm. engaging an audience. Making um, people laugh. Who doesn't like to do Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple friends that do improv comedy, like, I, whew. Oh, Ed, Ed, Ed's, Ed's going to help us tap into a bunch of fun mm. guests. Just talking about that stuff makes my heart kind of beat faster. We've got some got some palpitations happening. Yeah, just yeah. woof. Improv comedy, man. Like, it can be really funny, but it can also be super cringy. Oh, and yeah. I would hate to be one of the actors that's like <laughs> flopping, you know, flopping or saying something it, politically incorrect. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, just making a gaffe and like, oh yeah. I I went to an improv comedy show la- last year. And they, they wanted volunteers on the stage, and nobody raised their hand. I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll get up there." And nice, just made no complete, way. Made a complete fool out of myself. <laughs> but was, you're but you're great. willing to do it, and you're and, oh, you, yeah. and you can oh, take yeah. the uh, the anguish that comes with failing. Absolutely, yeah. And you don't wake up at night being like, oh, "I should have said this," or "I shouldn't have said that." No, no. that's good. No, no. That's good. Yeah, leave it, leave it all on the stage. Yeah, I think you have to, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a brutal way to be inside your own brain. Torture yourself. Yeah. 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 Sweet, I like it. You That's got, an, you got another one. We got there, another there, comedy. There, there are three of you now. Racking them up, dude. For a second there, you said military, but then you came around. I, I think we'll give him. He's on the uh, comedy side. Okay. Yeah. Solidly. Yeah. I got another question for you. Go for what it. What would you want to name this episode? Just like <laughs> the title of it. Yeah, you get to name it. We we can help you name it. You can call it Ed Miller. Yeah, really exciting title there, Ed Miller. You can call it 
But it, but it, that's how we've titled most of out. Actually, everything that's out right now is titled that way, right? except for the three generations. But oh yeah, starting right. with the next one, um, we're titling it whatever they decide to title it, and, and it's how we we are as we get near the end of the uh, the episode. This yeah. is part of our hockey stick growth. We're asking the question. I don't know how that equates to the hockey stick. But <laughs> sure, <laughs> I don't know what hockey stick you're talking about. Um, <laughs> Can, can I sleep on it, or, or are we locked into? Oh no, yeah, you can definitely you sleep can, on it. You right, can cool. sleep on it, it. It's mostly about having the, a fun discussion about what it could be. Okay, and, and it doesn't um, mean we have to settle because it. we've gone over. Let's see, uh, your upbringing a little yeah. bit, your college, math teaching, mm-hmm. counseling, the Big Bank, marijuana justice, mm-hmm. music, working out. Show choir. Show choir. You forgot show choir. Yeah, so we've really hit a lot of areas here. Quality eclecticism. Oh, boy. Okay. So Quality eclect- eclecticism. <laughs> Equitable eclecticism. Equitable eclecticism. <laughs> wow. I kind of like it. All righty, man. It's alliterative, too. Who doesn't like that? Those are two I big words for it's an engineer. Two yeah. big words. Yeah. Are you a reading <laughs> man? I think we can say